Frontiers podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Eros is in the field. We're back for another conversation about living erotically, this time through the lens of practicing tarot and exploring the lover's card in particular. I had this conversation with a magical friend and colleague, Christopher Marmalejo, who I first met through his project, Teaching at the Thresholds, a series of interviews Chris has been hosting with teachers in the astrological and mystical community that he invited me to speak at. You can find those conversations at The Red Read on Instagram. Since then, I have been enjoying his depth of vision, the heart I see him bring to his practice, and the opening he is creating for building a relationship with tarot. In this episode, we spoke about the lover's card most specifically and its relationship with the agency of choice and some of the tensions and greater meanings of the card. About Christopher before we begin... Christopher is an astrologer, tarot teacher, and counselor. His queer and indigenous identity arises from the Serrano land as he works with community to facilitate profound realization, clarity, and renewed meaning. He offers classes and consultations which interweave astrology, tarot, myth, and meaning-making. His classes are a remembering of ritual that has been lost to histories of imperialism, colonialism, and slavery. By holding out a hand, Christopher calms the spirit as clients and students dive deep into the waters and realms of consciousness. Whether in the communal or personal, he facilitates healing states to explore transformative emotions, the creative imagination, and the deepest sources of faith. He seeks to cultivate a classroom of liberatory possibility as it is elevated into a temple of ritual for communal soul retrieval. He is currently enrolling students in a comprehensive and intersectional tarot course, The Threshold. The Threshold uses tarot to expand our personal reading and imaging of freedom. It offers the tarot as a tool for living the erotic. The Threshold is designed for those at the critical edge of life, navigating extreme uncertainty. It is for those seeking to learn the tarot from a decolonized, intersectional perspective and apply that perspective into a praxis of liberated self-exploration and renewed self-expression. It is for astrologers, tarot readers beginning and experienced alike, for yoginis, queer boys, femmes, butch babes. It is for teachers and counselors, writers and readers of all kinds. The Threshold is an 11-week intensive course taught through a numerological organization. This comprehensive tarot course and communal container is open for enrollment. The next cohort begins September 6th, 2021. Sign up by September 5th. Learn more and sign up at theredread.com. So you heard it. This tarot class is coming up. And based on his relationship with tarot, his professional experience teaching, and his passion for the subject and welcoming and generous ways of talking about soul, I know this is an epic opportunity. So I will leave you to enjoy our conversation. I often start our interviews with a meditation and prayer, and I don't always hit the record button for that, but this time I did, and I also decided to include his prayer at the beginning. Enjoy. All in the four directions, the north, our ancestors and our guides, 
the West of release, rebirth, south, rooting our deepest sources of knowing, the North, our new beginnings, awakenings, and our heart center, invoking arrows with the love that this podcast may be a heart opening for us and for those listeners. That was so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Woke up as night too. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Chris. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So to dive in, I would love to hear about your story and what brought you to the tarot and teaching. Um, I'm just excited, you know, to have you here because I know you are deeply magical. The way you speak of the tarot is always really opening and expansive. Um, and I feel that you're so deeply rooted in tarot, but also just in, in the magic of life and of the earth itself. So I'll leave it to you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so honored again to be here and it is very magical. Um, the practice of working with the tarot, it has come to me at various points in my life as before I even knew what it was, I like picked up my first deck um, at the age, probably around 14 or maybe a little bit younger. Um, but my family, family friends, you know, I'm Catholic or was Catholic raised um, in the Mexican culture. And so there was a lot of shame around like witchcraft and around the tarot and like what you're communicating with. So I kind of stored it away, but his appeared to me and has come to me at various points in my life where I was really evolving my identity and going through some sort of shedding of skin and, tra and a transforming of path and like an opening. And so where the circumstances were sort of falling away or were less clear or the ground was shifting below me and internally, um, the tarot provided me sort of this like handlebar of sorts for me to latch on to as some sort of like mythic archetype of understanding my own psychic transformation. And this, I lean more, most heavily, um, like the biggest threshold and the biggest use when I really deepened my practice was in the decision to leave teaching, um, formally as, you know, a seventh and eighth grade English teacher after I had just got my master's, um, spent my first years teaching, and really offer, begin to offer client consultations to learn astrology, to weave that into the tarot. Um, and then to now develop like a tarot course where I'm teaching again, but in this time that's more expansive and more comprehensive for the work that is like that I'm trying to do around this work being a praxis of soul recall and tarot tarot acknowledges the soul primarily and it resources our inner non-rational ways of knowing and it makes space for that to be regarded highly and in, in a devout way um, and that is very revolutionary because just whether it's through enslavement or colonialism the deepest um, assault was upon the soul in denying that there was a soul for you know the colonized or the enslaved and so to do this work is to really it's part of my, it was a clarifying um, of how I wanted to show up for the revolution and how I wanted to serve. Mm 
Can you speak more to soul recall through tarot? Absolutely. Um, Traumatic experiences such as, you know, the very traumatic experiences, the one, the trauma that we inherit from our ancestors, but also that we experience whether, you know, we're in a female body, we're queer, we're brown, we're poor, we've been frightened through whatever sense. Um, It's like known as susto in in Mesoamerican thought. Um, These experiences that like you leave a part of your soul um, within a psychic space, within a geography, within like a timeline Mm. and doing this work, it's like opening, I see it as like an obsidian mirror. The tarot is another form of the obsidian mirror where the images are like, there's this watery portal and the artful mythic images come to us as a way to look within. And so, um, in creating more of this expanse, I really, I was narrating this in a lecture with my course, my students, um, especially through like the moon, the, the tower through, um, the end of the world, like sort of the ascent process, um, where within the moon card, we're navigating this unknown, the, the space between conscious knowing and unknowing, we're seeing past patterns come up and we're going into this liminal space to sort of find that lost child again and to bring them back. And that victory of like soul recall, soul retrieval, where we're bringing back dynamic energy into our heart space and um, a fullness, which connects us to source and to spirit and, and to the sun um, is evidenced in the sun card. Like that, that inner child is found that like source of like pure innocence is reclaimed. Um, and then, you know, judgment is like the, <laughs> excuse me, the awakening back into the world, the rejoining into the world. And then like a whole completion with the world is indicated. Um, but the cards as a whole working with the tarot is, is again, like resourcing our inner knowing, and like it's emanating outward. It's like a tool to help you harmonize and regain a sensation to regain like the wildness of your intuition, which has been deadened, which has been numbed through the dominant culture. That was so beautiful. I love this image of the obsidian mirror or like the watery place of like mythic images. And um, when you said something about like the, the inner child coming back, my cat just sat on my lap too. So I feel like she's feeling the energy of this conversation in this space. Um, I don't know if she's ever sat on my lap while I've been podcasting before. Oh, wow. <laughs> but um, I love this idea of soul retrieval. Um, and I'm curious, like, in your own experience, when it comes to like feeling parts of yourself come back, like what has that looked like, um, in terms of how it plays out for you? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to those sites of trauma and to those places of repression and sort of rewriting them or, or providing a new perspective and like expanding on um, what happened there, no longer being the victim by choosing to free yourself and to free the energy that was locked there from that shame point. And so that for me often is like been coming out and like owning my sexuality and rather than having it projected upon me and repressing my queer expression that is just like visible, um, that I was trying to deny and like having this cognitive split of like trying to conform and the such, um, 
and, and like naming my desire for connection and my, like my authentic desire. Um, it's, it's led to just like a, a expansiveness of voice, more bravery to share myself with the community and then to like better hone who I'm resonating with or who I'm calling in. Um, and then also I feel like it makes space for that fulfillment, for that desire to be fulfilled. And that's by embracing like every aspect of my soul, you know, and like the soul retrieval is even the whole narrative of the tarot in a sense where, you know, the full, the full is like signaled in the card of zero and zero being chaos, being the abyss, being the abysmal mystery of God, that the full is overlooking and the full is associated with Uranus in astrology. And so there's this like divine awakening happening where spirit animates matter. And it takes this like de- this voluntary descent, you know, into the underworld, into the Saturn realm where we've dealt with, you know, uh, all of the repression hardened our soul, like stuck like gold in the lead of Saturn. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's that like deepest substance that we, we, we are a fool, but like in the wise way to journey into, to reclaim and to recover and to like alchemize, um, and then ascend back again and do this in a spiralic motion as we sort of blossom unendingly um, towards fulfillment and towards union with the divine. Gorgeous. <laughs> I'm like, I just love the way that you speak about the tarot um, because I can really feel the soulfulness in your voice, like the livedness of it too. Um, I'm wondering if there are specific cards um, or things in your needle chart that um, have been significant, like allies to you um, in terms of this like soul awakening process that you would want to share with us. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love working like with my students in terms of like helping them find the cards of the chart beyond the the majors, of course, which are like more easily understood or I think recognized. Um, but knowing the minor associations, which are like my moon and Libra is the two of swords. And so that shows up as like a signifier sometimes. And that's, you know, the twos are associated with the high priestess and that's the two of swords mentally, I think is like the, the trust of your intuitive capacity, like the skill development of like your intuitive knowing rather than the logical, you know, perspective of it. There's like a justice to your own feeling. Um, the star has been very helpful, very affirmative for my Saturn return. The star is associated with Aquarius. I have Saturn in Aquarius. And I love that as an image um, that you don't necessarily get with Saturn. In, in ter- you know, when you're just like in the astrology world per se, like the star, she's naked. She's pouring out the cosmic essence. She's the bridge. She's um, doing this mediating between the manifest world where she's taking like sort of this divine cosmic water and manifesting, you know, into material form, but is also releasing back to, to the source. And so there's like this free flowing channel that I think Aquarius also embodies, you know, that air releasing the water of consciousness to the world. Um, and there's a naked vulnerability that is like a return to wholeness and a freeing from shame And then there's the alignment with like the eight pointed star, which signifies like the dwelling the dwelling place beyond the seven spheres. Right. And so there's like this 
vision finally after the tower, after the prison, you know, has been demolished within, um, that we have a clear sense of our purpose and of our Dharma and of just releasing and no longer needing to like hold so tightly, you know, I have a lot of Scorpio in my chart, um, and that can just like an instinctual, like unconscious emotional holding happens. And so that card is like a card of baptism and a card of like by one's own hand though, by one's own like higher spirit, um, being the one to baptize you, you know, rather than like a traditional religious source. Um, so that card has been very helpful. The whole cup suit, of course. I mean, the whole tarot, honestly, they're constantly showing, they're like the many faces of the one, right? And so, like, again, the fool is containing the entire, like the zero contains all, chaos contains all, and then sprouts, you know, the magician. And then we see the anima within the high priestess and it's unfolding. And so the cards... Um, are showing up as like different faces of my own self. And I, I mean, I've been thinking about the lovers and Eros, especially just in terms of the whole, um, the whole relation of like how I want to work with the tarot, how it's evolving in terms of it being an erotic practice. And I think the lovers really encompasses that. <laughs> yeah. Let's go there then. Uh, how is, uh, well, where do you want to start with the lovers or how tarot is an erotic practice? Um, who, well, we can't, I mean, I think they'll blend back and forth. Certainly, you know, there's, um, the, the lovers, I guess we'll start with the lovers. And so that is like key number six, major arcana number six. Um, and so the traditional rider weight imagery is of Adam and Eve in the garden in a sense, right? And this archangel opening in this expansiveness between them, there's a tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Um, and they're naked, of course, and they're meeting each other. And so the lovers is one of those like cosmic cards that like people get excited about, but I'm always a bit wary because it's so ambiguous and there's just so much consequence to the myth, obviously, right? There's like the fall from paradise and it's associated with Gemini. And so in this way, it's where we discover the binary, where we sort of separate from that oneness and we meet this aspect of the other, like um, within the other, actually, we meet this aspect of self within the other. We meet our own maleness in, a, in another body or we meet our own femaleness in another body. And there's like this interpenetrating Whereas the star is the interpenetrating of like fire and water of soul and spirit. They're very much like embodied and personified and drawn to each other. Now, this card, um, it can be, it can, it can be very challenging for people because the perception Gemini, right. Differs and you don't necessarily know what each person is pouring into the relationship or where they're choosing from until afterwards until there's some ripple effect where you know typically one lover is perceiving this cosmic opening and there's just like this big heart opening and it feels like this destined align like twin soulmate type of vibe and the other one has that same pull that same attraction but it's it's the lust it's the sexual nature it's the the eroticism of the material and of the body and 
some, those are not always in alignment, you know, and often in relationships, often we're thinking this person has like this cosmic importance, um, but it may be just primal and that happens sometimes, but with the lovers, I think at the best is like this Kundalini energy where we're channeling and we're uniting our material form or uniting and embracing our deepest urges and our primal urges um, and channeling them upward into like this divine union and like bringing them together. And that I think is the highest expression or potentiality, I suppose, of the lovers of like choosing, um, knowing what we're choosing and knowing that that's like, there's a reciprocity and not repressing or not shaming, not thinking that you have to have like this divine love and then be abstinent or chase or anything like that, or that you can't act, use your physical um, expression to let it be a channel for the divine also. So there's like a growing awareness. Yeah. Wow. That's having me think about um, early experiences in love. And so I'm Saturn and Aquarius as well, which I think the podcast listeners know if they've been listening for a bit, but, um, or just listen to like the last episode. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, this idea, you know, of like early in life or like early in adolescence, um, having these kind of choices in love or lust of like, I know this isn't really the right person for me, but I'm turned on by them. And I want to experience my own sexuality. I want to experience this opening, but not having the full kind of like psychological maturity, awareness, perspective, et cetera, to know what I was getting into. And so kind of getting in over my head, having, you know, my world blasted open, like experiencing, you know, Eros, right. But also attaching it so much to the person who, you know, awakened it, not necessarily knowing yet, like tantric skill sets to give myself that experience or, you know, emotional architecture within myself to be that ecstatic within my own being. Right. And so Mm -hmm. feeling this sense of disempowerment or need or codependency, And, but knowing all the while that I was doing that, like having this kind of awareness of like, Mm. yeah, this isn't necessarily the right partner, but I need this experience right now. Mm. And then as time has gone on gaining more capacity or agency to not do that thing and like be kind of more consciously aware of what I'm choosing. Mm. Um, But I wonder, you know, I thought of that because of what you said in terms of one person sensing a cosmic opening and another feeling just like the lust and just being able to relate to that in the sense of the lust as a cosmic opening, like needing or wanting to experience that kind of erotic awakening in order to know myself, but the complexity of that happening with another person. Mm -hmm. So well said. And that's like the whole, the, I, you know, the lovers is a really big one to navigate because it's so dynamic. It's so confronting you know, it's not necessarily a meditation like the high priestess or a personal hermit quest. Which they're all challenging in their own sense, but this one is just so electric and so penetrating. And it brings me, I mean, exactly to the erotic where like you're like the, the point we're choosing this to discover ourselves most. And, and like the power of the lovers is like own your choices, you know, and be upfront about them, be consenting about it. You know, don't hide by, like they're naked in the garden. <laughs> they're like, we, yeah, this is where I'm coming from. This is where I can meet you. 
Like I'm doing this to explore and, and take the chance to, to have this experiment of opening for myself as well. And like, I'd like to invite you in as consensually, as respectfully as possible. But then of course, where the feelings may differ and one person may have, I think the pace often gets difficult to maintain or to be, to be syncretized. Um, for instance, especially like in queer gay relationships, like there's, and I mean, I guess in all relationships, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a queer person. So <laughs> I, it is a sort of dynamic and, um, being attracted to men or perhaps having experiences with men, relationships with men where they may not be ready or they may be confronted by me and by my reflection of them and reflecting back to them something they don't know or something they haven't seen, something they haven't felt inside, like me triggering a desire in them or vice versa. Scorpio. That is <laughs> <laughs> seriously in the sun Pluto conjunct on the descendant, you know, it's like transcendent soul by Willow has been an image that has been like a great meditation for me um, for that. But I think like that Scorpio life, exactly like you were saying, like it's very much like the Scorpio Taurus axis where my, I, I'm committed to opening and to like pursuing the, ex the experiences of intense pleasure. And that is living the erotic. Like the erotic is the embrace of true feeling, true feeling, not sensation without feeling, you know, and we can be numbed. We've all, I mean, I don't know if we've all, but like in medical, like if you're having a surgery or if you're having a C-section or if you're going under the knife or something, you still feel the sensation, you feel pressure, you feel the tugging. It's not just like a completely, like you feel something, you, there's a sensation, but the actual embrace of your true feeling can be very terrifying for a lot of people. And I think that's like where the Scorpio willingness to dive in and open more and to realize like you have a greater capacity for full set, full embodied. Yes. Like to discover your whole yes. And that requires pushing up against the walls within you you know, and like seeing if you can trust and open a bit more from being so closed off and knowing like this, this small channel of pleasure, of satisfaction. Um, and that is to live outward, to emanate outward, to source your pleasure from your own inner non-rational mystical, like dark space of knowing that no one else can impose upon you. And that, that is what the tarot helps us to do is like to resonate or harmonize with our own internal experiences um, to become more attuned to our yeses and our nos. And yeah. And then in the relationship, like with the lovers and with others, I mean, eroticism and like all of this, all pleasure and satisfaction, like the aspiration towards full satisfaction is connection. It's like totally based on connectedness. And so once you are committed to that level of experience, like to not faking an orgasm through your life is like a larger metaphor, right? Like that's what living the erotic is, is like, no, once you know how good you can feel, how much pleasure and joy you can feel in life through that experience with that person, whether that was just a fleeting moment and it wasn't meant to last, but it was rather to show you your own capacity. And then give you the responsibility and the work to discern and to take that like a Scorpio Virgo eye to your life and see 
what is in, what is resonant, what is in service to your overall pleasure. Um, because pleasure is an empowering source. It's a renewable source. It's um, vitalizing. It, it energizes us to do the work for change that we need rather than having it um, this external imposition, this alien force coming upon us, telling us what we should like or should want. So beautifully said. I know. I feel like there's a, a quality to the erotic and like a true inner experience of it that kind of, I mean, maybe I'm getting an image of the tower here too. Cause like, let's say it's the first time experiencing that level of an erotic threshold. And then from that, you can see what hasn't been true. Right. And I think, um, then as you're saying, having the there's like a gravity, there's a weight. I was just doing all this Eros research and I, there's this connection between Eros and Saturn. And I feel like there's a gravity to erotic experiences because it's like you taste something and then the source of it may be fleeting, as you said. And then you either go back to normal life and numb yourself, <laughs> you know, and choose that kind of crusty Saturn day, <laughs> or you figure out how to kind of reascend through a slower, more embodied means, you know, of like what you encountered, how you awakened and how can that be implemented in a structural or like devoted way into life to kind of carry forth the spark of that awakening. And that's kind of the um, potentially unsexy or unglamorous counterpart to the erotic awakening is like, you know, and I think it's as simple too as like festival culture, for example, and just like <laughs> whipping it up and then coming back to normal life and being like, oh, wow, I need to do something with my life to match this peak experience that I had. Cause I can't just go from some mundane, numbing experience to, you know, chasing a high, then it becomes more like addiction, you know, right. as opposed yeah. to, uh, touching the erotic within and then letting that like fertilize our lives in a real way. Mm. So absolutely well said. And so, so Saturnian, absolutely. There's, it's that responsibility to your own pleasure and to it's, and to feeling, to knowing your capacity for feeling, um, in all ways. And, and of course, like feeling is more than pleasure, right? It's like right. the morning, like being willing to feel your grief and to feel yeah. your pain and, and your, and your discomfort, um, for striving for that and like demanding that. And, um, it also, you, you know, as you were speaking, you're making me think of with uh, like always, of course, the festival is like Neptune, right. And people who want to like shortcut their way bypass Saturn and go to Neptune. But it's like, you can't really have that divine ecstatic, like Neptunian experience without doing the Saturn work. Saturn is like at the threshold. Saturn is like the guardian there. It's like, you'll pop, you'll drown in the, the, in the ocean. It'll be too much for you to handle, to overwhelm your system. If you haven't done the daily sort of devotional work to be able to handle such a current of energy in like an everyday manner, um, and to know that and to live that. And I think that's part of the path here of being embodied this lifetime or, you know, on this plane. Um, that's again, the help of the tarot. It's like this constant unfolding of self, um, as well as like going through Saturn returns and 
you know, Venus opposing Neptune and such. <laughs> oh yeah. At this very moment, <laughs> Venus and Virgo opposite Neptune and Pisces. <laughs> so you've told me before when we were talking about the lovers, like that, this card, I don't know how you would phrase it, but something around like love is not domination. Love is about mm. choice. Can you speak to that with the lovers? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I, as you were even saying before, how this experience with a person that opens or reflects something so confronting to us, but that is irresistible. Some part of us that we had repressed, but that is like catalyzed. And like, this just like this tremendous, like, um, cataclysmic shift within our being where you're like, what has happened? Everything has changed by this connection, by this interaction. And and the challenge, again, that's why the lovers is, is your, it's number six. It's not 21. <laughs> There's still a lot more lessons to go. There's a lot uh, more initiations to have. And the confusion is limiting your source of pleasure rather than realizing it's emanating outwards, that it's something within you that was reflected by this other or this exchange or this interaction, um, by, but sourcing it from them and, and confining it to that person. And so then you want to hold on to that person. You want to restrict that person and you want to own perhaps that person subconsciously. You, you get jealous or you get fearful. And that's like the opposite of being in that flow state or being in that erotic state, you know, and it's a very hard thing to navigate. It takes a lot of self-knowing and the card as well. Like, and, you know, in the modern day, like less esoteric is, is about consent. The lovers, it's like if two people are not, if they're not two people, right? If one is in like this victimhood in this lesser state that we're denying their power or denying their agency, like to be in full selfhood is required to engage in a lover scenario where both parties can actually give consent. And like, and the consent is a continual choice. Consent can be revoked at any point. You can start having you know, erotic encounter with someone and they do something or they say something or the vibe goes off for whatever reason, at whatever point your own inner knowing is like, no, I shouldn't do this. Like, oh, I should back away. Okay. I need to call this off. And I've done that with people. You know, I've, I've, I've actually done that. I've always been so proud of myself to say, no, 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 actually, I don't want to go through with this. Like I thought I did, you know, but like, as I'm feeling it as like, I'm just, no, this is not it for me. And oh, that's so important because I feel <laughs> like that skill set, it's basically like not abandoning oneself because I think, um, you know, I've had to learn that as well in terms of just like go, being in an encounter and having this like uh, slow motion train that's like, uh, I'm going to keep going with it because I'm already doing it versus mm -hmm. like I can actually jump off at any moment and change my mind and like trusting that. Mm. Um, and you know, I feel like then when it comes to like the next day and you're digesting the experience that you had when self-abandonment occurred and, you know, there was no self-advocating or no listening to the inner impulse, it's like a lot more to digest the next day. It's like super unpleasant, uh, you know, Absolutely. can be traumatic, um, and getting to see the agency that we have in that situation in terms of our own choice making, I think is really empowering. And it's, um, it's like a sovereignty thing too, like knowing that we do have the capacity to make choices. Absolutely. I, that, re 
self-abandonment is I, I do it in other ways or I've been trying to heal from doing so. And especially in relationships and wanting to just be a vehicle for the other person's desire to have their connection, like just simply enjoying their presence because it, I go from without myself um, and rely upon them too much to, to give me that feeling, you know, and then it can become addictive and it can be self-abandoning when they're not honoring or respecting me fully enough for that opening. And um, thankfully with, yeah, thankfully sexually, <laughs> sexual encounters, um, I have had the wherewithal, like you're saying, it, it is very much that like slow moving train and like time is, it's a different time space and saying no and revoking consent. Um, again, but in the larger sort of narrative of the relationship, it can be like this violation of consent. We're imposing ourselves upon another or where we can recognize that they may not be in a capacity to say yes or no. You know, if you're inebriated at a party, right? Like that person cannot give consent. Like even if they say yes, even if they're saying they want to and you're sober and the other person's not, like that's not, that's a violation. And sometimes we're in a state where we are not in our most healthy and prime. And, and like it takes a lot of protection, takes a lot of grace and like healthy partners to know if that relation, like if engaging in that merging is actually appropriate or safe or healthy, because of course, again, the consequences always come to bear, you know, and like there's something given or taken in that sense rather than given. And, and so I see that with clients a lot as well, where one may be enabling the other, you know, they may love them so, so much and want them in their lives. So, so much, but like, it's too difficult or it's like a challenge for them to let go but thereby they're destroying the whole foundation of the relationship because there's no actual consent. There's no actual two selfhoods like meeting and joining and choosing. And so I think that's like a big, um, a big lesson of lovers, certainly. Yeah. And I think just, you know, various acrobatics to be likable that involve abandoning the self. And I think even um, like one of the patterns is, the freedom, the kind of ease of being the carefree energy, the charismatic energy that a person might possess when they are single and not looking or something like that. Mm. Um, because they're just in their own kind of pleasure world, their own responsibilities, like they are answering to themselves and then attracting someone from that place and from that frequency and then collapsing once they get into the relationship of abandoning themselves and trying to please and keep the other person. Uh, and then the person going away because they were attracted to that person's essence, not that person collapsing and trying to be a pleasing mirage, you know, and it's just an interesting balance yes. uh, because you know, and as I've been tuning into this and also living it for years, you know, of like, uh, feeling into my own rhythms of what it's like to go in and out of connection in periods of not being involved to periods of being involved and just what, you know, how that recalibrates oneself. Um, mm. I see it in romantic protagonists, you know, in stories more clearly how, 
the kind of fierceness, the person's individuality, even stubbornness can be celebrated in love because that person is really there. You're actually pushing up against someone. You're not just interacting with a, a vaporous fantasy that is like there to like uh, please you in any way. Like no one actually wants that. Right. Absolutely. That reminds me of this Barbra Streisand movie. I just recently watched The Mirror Has Two Faces. (laughs) And she was like full in her selfhood. She was like this nerd, if you will, like in the bookish, like intellectual. um, And the partner, she entered this marriage because the, the, the male protagonist could not handle his own sexual impulse. And so he just wanted to like leave that off the, off the table. But then as she became asserted into her own sexuality and experiencing it, she was like, I have been realizing I was fantasizing and, and desiring you, but only like imagining what you would want or what you would be feeling or how I could be a service to you. I never pictured what I would feel or what I would look like or, what, or where I was coming from. But now that I'm here in this moment, Oh, I'm so much better than, than this. I'm so, I'm worth so much more than this. You're not actually on my level or I was lessening myself. Um, and so, so it's just a little <laughs> throwback. <laughs> <to Barbra Streisand. laughs> but yes. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's almost kind of a, um, maybe the other side, because we were talking about love, not being domination. So we're kind of talking about a more submissive energy and it's those energies can be played with consensually and enjoyably. And like, there's a role play in that, but perhaps when it's unconscious, um, the consequences of that, you know, show up in a certain way. Um, and learning to be sovereign about choice making and also like coming into relationship or coming into connection as a full being as a self who is willing to make choices not as someone who you know puts their choices on a shelf and is just down for the ride whatever happens uh, because in that case you're not experiencing the lovers anymore there's something like, like more of devil. a domination thing happening. Did you say the devil? Yeah. That's that like was the, the card that came to my mind too. Yeah. I'm so like proud of myself in this moment because I, I kind of feel like I don't know the tarot that well. Like that's just a story that I have, but I've been pulling cards since like 2012. I just don't understand it yet. As oh a my gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You definitely, you definitely know it though. You definitely know it. I mean, yeah, that's, and we see the lovers pictured in the devil, right? And they're chained and they are not in free will anymore. They've given up um, their agency to have that source of pleasure satisfied from like, what are they giving up for that pleasure? You know what I mean? They're like, okay, I will hold on to you and I'm just going to give up everything else and just be chained to you. And of course there's like, that's the card associated with Saturn, with Capricorn, (laughs) Um, wow I'm having so many I just had like a slideshow of like very confronting epiphanies (laughs) I love that like tarot imagery will do that (laughs) it absolutely absolutely will like full on and I mean to your note as well but about like not knowing or knowing tarot there is certainly a system which like adds to it right like somewhat similar to astrology but it's speaking to our own internal processes like to our own, like their myths for what's, their images for what's happening within you. And so people ask like, Oh, where do I start? And I'm like, whatever deck is drawn to you, like whatever artwork you're called to like, it does. I didn't start with the right away. I started with the Santa Muerte tarot, which is not necessarily the standard 
layout at all. Um, but there was something about it that spoke to like my soul and there was some inner imagery that like provoked inquiry into my own self, you know, and that like, um, that's like a relationship you have with time. Again, it's about the tarot is your own relationship to yourself and to your own inner knowing. So there's not a wrong way to use it or you don't have to impose the meanings of like, yeah. what it is, right? <laughs> no, I think, uh, so I started out with the mythic tarot and the descriptions are written by astrologer Liz Green. Yeah. Out right now. It. It's <laughs> out right now. Oh my yes. God. Yeah. And so the way that I feel like I understand tarot is like, you know, being an astrologer, I have a relationship with archetypes and building relationships with archetypes. I think that my experience of tarot as this like equivalency with astrology in the sense of like back when I didn't know how to read a natal chart like by myself and I had to like look up on Google, like what does it mean when this planet's in this? Like, um, I think I probably could create a spread for someone and just read intuitively and like let that be a divining moment to um, read the cards and just like let something come through. But there's a certain kind of finesse maybe or confidence in terms of understanding the whole system. That's kind of like what I'm wanting to learn and why I think I will be like in your tarot class, because I love the way that you talk about the tarot and just the, um, there, there is an erotic frequency. I feel like that you bring into it. Like, I really love that. <laughs> I can't help it. My Scorpio stellium, like everything is erotic. I mean, I really, in, in understanding it is like, again, a revolutionary praxis where I'm coming back into myself and in a relationship in an interrelationship with the world and with partners and with people and like every experience, like, the a function of the erotic is to deeply pursue pleasure with someone else. Right. And I think that's like so amazing, so divine. And that's like the potentiality of a reading where we're like tapping into this, like the space where like there's this opening and there's this like epiphany and there like an orgasm is very, you know, this epiphany. Um, but then definitely, as you were saying, the, the mastery, the refinement of it, knowing your element, knowing the chart, it just, it feels like a ballet of some sort where you have more, like you can, we all do yoga, but like everyone wants to have like, you know, greater flexibility and access more and more into the pose. And so I think learning the system, um, there's so many layers and there's so many myths. And then you add on like the decanic association, the, the major association on top of your birth chart. Um, you look num numerically, you look, through a color symbolism, through the history of alchemy, it's just like this mind blowing potentiality for you to just like dive into your soul and like know that it's way more expansive than you're perhaps living in your just regular nine to five mundane life, mundane life, um, where again, the meaning is just societally given rather than internally built and solidified. Beautiful. I love, yeah, that's how I feel about, um, working with astrology as well in terms of just building this really rich inner language and association for internal experience and being able to live then in the world and in relationship with that added depth that you just don't find subscribed, you know, cause it, it can't be, it's too soulful. It's too personal and certain, you know, languages like astrology and tarot provide that bridge um, into that soulful realm. Mm. 
Um, can you tell us about the project that you've been doing, which is the teaching at the thresholds? Yes, absolutely. And so, well, that that project was really, um, it's been a bridge of a sort for me to, to, you know, I was known, or I guess I had my community, my personal community and my students knew me as a formal English teacher again, and leaving and like coming out of the witch's closet, coming out of the broom closet, um, took a lot of courage. And I think there's still a lot of stigma around our profession, our craft, um, in terms of it being scamming or something like that, or like non-ethical and like what ethical parameters look like. And so this project is really a way to show people like embodied practitioners, like experienced, skilled practitioners of various crafts, like astrologers, tarot readers, um, you know, people at the thresholds, people who guide us through spaces of unknowing people who guide us to a broader horizon of potential. Um, and so I've been interviewing various people. I've been scheduling them of, of a sorts in order to hear about their craft, how they came to their craft. Often many of them obviously are like highly educated, highly experienced, have years of client consults, um, have degrees, and to sort of just show a face, like multiple faces um, to, to gain sort of respect and like listen in on some, some of their wisdom and what their craft can teach us. Um, and then being the through line myself, sort of in a, in a way to um, see how I learn or like can offer feedback or what have you from each of each of the guests. It's been a definite blessing and a definite pleasure. I um, mean, there's sort of, sort of that, again, that Gemini like lovers energy where each interaction uncovers a different aspect of my own self, like something, something emerges, um, something is triggered or something's activated in a new way. And so I always, I think that's part of my son on the seventh as well, where I, and my moon and Libra, like I'm so relational. I, there's this intuitive knowing that like meaning is made relationally and needs to exist in, but like we need to sort of, um, construct the vision together. You know, we need to like pull on it and like, um, add to it together. It can't just be this one dominant narrative, but it has to be like this collective vision. And so I'm willing to do that work as long as, again, I'm, my agency is being respected by myself and the other and vice versa. Um, but to show people, to show clients, to, to like show more of like what, what it looks like with two people who have the language or the literacy of their craft. Because typically, I think you mentioned this on the pod, like it's so frustrating for people when you're just speaking astro or tarot or like mythically or so esoterically and they're just, it's like way over their head or they don't know how to connect in. Um, but I feel, I feel like they've been fruitful. <laughs> I feel like they've been. Yeah, they've been great. I love the project. And um, yeah, I mean, to speak to that last part too, around the language, I feel like um, there's like a curve, you know, of like getting really into these languages. Like you just want to speak about it to everyone. And I remember like when I was first, um, sharing my astrology knowledge with the world in like a public way attached to my own name, you know, not anonymously, like all of that, there wasn't really a, a big anonymous period or anything, but it was like Facebook talking about astrology and the way that, um, 
people just like left my life. Like there were people who were like literally not interested in being around me anymore because they didn't like that. I was talking about astrology, even if I wasn't talking about it with them, it was so offensive, you know, as well as just experiences of it being a source of alienation. And then, um, through kind of continuing to speak about it and finding the communities and having that need satiated in terms of getting to speak this beautiful language with people that also love speaking it. It's allowed me to kind of like chill out a lot more when I'm around people that don't speak the language and just talk about other stuff, but also in my spaces, my classrooms, like, you know, and in dialogues like this. And when I go on to other podcasts and all of that, it's just so rich, like what this language allows that that's a continued joy for me of teaching is essentially getting to cultivate spaces of deepened astrological, mythic, magical literacy. So I see you doing that as well. Um, and in terms of your teaching, can you tell us about um, your offering with tarot and Yeah. Client work and teaching. (laughs) Tell us all about it. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Like you said, literacy, I really see it as that both reading charts and the cards. Um, Literacy in my tradition and as I taught, as I still teach is in the legacy of liberation. It was very revolutionary to learn to read and write, to speak for oneself, to make meaning for oneself rather than having it imposed upon you, this, the gods want you to serve, you know, this is (laughs) what you must, you must obey because it's just like the divine will rather than reading this and being like, what? Um, That's not what that says. I have the whole other idea. I have my own ideas about this. Um, And so my work has really just grown to where I've just seen that I've always been a reader and a writer. And in writing, there's, there is, like you were saying, the articulation that desires to be heard, that desires expression even if it's for your own self or even it's the divine or your ancestors, like more invisible beings around you, it still needs to get out. And so like journaling, working with the cards, working with your chart um, is so healing. And I think people get stuck on like just astrology or tarot. It's a literacy of the soul. Both of these things are like, we're using this to engage each other more wholly, more deeply, more soulfully. And so that those are just the tools in which we do it. You know, it's just like I had, instead of teaching to kill a mockingbird, to kill a mockingbird to seventh and eighth graders, like I can use this book of the tarot and talk to anyone about anything and connect on a deep mythic soulful level and yet help them facilitate, um, have this exchange breakthrough, help them embrace change. All my clients are like typically experiencing some sort of transformative period of their life. Um, and so I do have client consultations. I do birth chart readings, um, where I just, I'm pretty much offering natal chart readings. I will look at current transits and such, but I'm still working for the more predictive, like forecasting. Um, and we will look at their birth chart and help just find acceptance with their process, with their own makeup, of course. Um, and then the tarot reading on top of that, which is very Buddhist in the sense that like that spread is like the sacred container, the sacred clear container, but then it's cleared away after the reading and it integrates and it settles into the person. And then with their growing awareness, they find how it has manifested. And a lot of my clients come, come back saying like, Oh, that was actually accurate or that was true. You know, typically I I see it as an x-ray vision, the cards of the chart to 
the soul or to the emotional process or what is happening. Um, and I, I think it can be disempowering for people to look too much towards the future in that sort of divinatory sense, right? Because they are, they're often too willing to give up their agency and wait for like the opportunity to come or when things are just going to magically get better rather than taking responsibility for their pleasure and rather than looking honestly at like what's happening in them. And so I trust the cards always. I'm like, okay, you may be saying this, but like, look at the cards, honey. Like, this is what's coming <laughs> up. Like, <laughs> like we like, come on, like, it's okay. There's no shame here. Like embrace this. Um, and so that sort of also helps them facilitate and understand, like give themselves more grace and what they're going through and like have a greater perspective rather than the one fixed narrative they may be confined under or that they may be feeling so restricted under. Um, and so that's sort of about the, you know, consultation practice. And I am, I love teaching. I really love the communal spaces. And so I've constructed a course to learn the tarot comprehensively. It's organ, it's an 11 week course. Um, it's organized numerically. So in the beginning, we go over the course container and how to cast a circle and the full, of course, sort of like this leap in this beginning. And then week one, we're covering the magician, we're covering the elemental aces, um, we're covering justice, like Roman numeral, like the double of the one in the Roman numeral, and so on, all the way, and, and the will of fortune, combining one and zero. And when we do so through a numerical arc understanding, which is different than the A to Z learning of the tarot, rather than just like the majors all the way through and the suit of cups all the way through, and then so on, you're getting all of the elements like throughout um, and it's a space where, you know, there's the pre-recorded modules and then we join and we look at our charts. We look at, like, if we're talking about the magician, we'll look at Mercury that week in our charts and like, see how the card relates to that. We'll pull spreads. Um, I'm helping to facilitate their, their reading abilities in that way that it is a literacy development. And so anytime we're learning a language, sort of like Spanish class where you just have to start speaking in Spanish, like from day one, um, because we have that intuitive gift. It takes you, it's not going to grow unless you actually express it and exercise it. Um, and so we're doing that week by week and, um, creating ritual, remembering ritual and like making this like sacred container for calling in the elements, calling in our soul and like sharing that together, which we just need more of today. Like that's just been cut away that's been like stolen from us and we may be divorced from our ancestral teachings for a variety of reasons right and like can look to appropriation or like you know get real problematic with it or we can just like create these things anew and trust what's in our dna um, and trust what's shared in like the numinous moment and so the course is this container for community um it's offering the tarot is like a psychic literacy development in a sense, it's offering self-development, but then it's also, um, yeah, connecting your own spirit to a more mythic understanding of, of our process or of your process. What an awesome offering. I feel like I was calling in like a tarot teacher before we met too. Like I was just like, cause for me with learning certain things, um, it's like, I'm looking for that like person that I can connect with too about the topic, like not just learning it 
you know, without that like relational. So I just love the way that you, um, I know I keep saying this, but I love the way that you talk about the tarot and just the context that you bring to it. So I'm really excited that you're offering this, um, and for the community that you're creating on the internet. And, um, I think the last thing that I want to ask you, um, you know, in addition to how people can find you, um, is what does the red read mean? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, you can find me at the Red Read on IG. I'm on Twitter, but not like really. Um, and at the redread.com. And so the Red Read has like multi, a multivariant meaning for me. It's multivalent. Primarily, it's connecting to my indigenous ancestry. And so like this work is a, a ritual of remembering of my indigenous ancestry, which has been um, a source of tension within my own identity, being colonized, being the product of colonization. I'd be racially classified as a mestizo under s- colonial Spanish designation. And so there's a feeling of being a bastard in some sense and not being owned, not being accepted or welcomed into the community. I grew up on Serrano land. I'm still on Serrano land. I grew up going like, live on and off the reservation, going to powwows, like actually in community with native people. And it took me a long time to accept that identity and like to be proud and to name that. Um, because again, the quantum blood type has that limited to like a colonial classification, right. Of identity. And that's so not what being native and in, in an indigenous sort of community and way of relating is about. It's all of our relations. It's like, this border is so imaginary, but it's like such a real mental construct rather than like embracing the like cohesiveness of the earth, of the body, of the identity. And so it's read, of course, in that way, in that like, you know, native indigenous knowledge is like signaled as red, you know, versus brown or like yellow or or black or what have you. Um, And then of course, I see it as taking this critical, this critical theory, you know, that's my background as an educator. That's what I studied and got my master's in is in critical theory, critical race studies. And that's like, uh, this more like communist sort of red perspective to the world where I'm critiquing the structures, but because of care and I'm doing so to revolutionize, um, and to connect to like the life force, like the blood is red. You know, it's like the red that we say we are red because our blood is all red. Right. And so there's like this deeper connectivity. Um, and then of course, like the infrared quality of like, I don't know, the Mars Scorpio aspect of like, I will look into that ass. I'll read that ass. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm tearing out my, I might draw a little bit of blood. It might be some bloodletting, but it'll release the toxins. It'll be purifying. It's like often very tender. It's the tears are welcomed. Um, and so it's sort of like this way that I approach reading the world, reading the cards, reading the charts. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's like the red read. <laughs> mm, thank you. I just adore you. I, earlier you were saying when you said the thing about teaching English, my heart was like, I want to have you as an English teacher. Like, I just want to go back in time <laughs> and have you as my English teacher. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us and um, bringing just your like beautiful, deep, 
compassionate and penetrating Scorpionic energy <laughs> um, into the community. And I'm really excited to just continue to see what you're coming out with and um, participate in some of your offerings. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and honor to be here. I, I look forward to being in community with you ongoing. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library with several hours of content about creating and elevating your reality, including one of the favorite lectures I've ever given called Play and the Evolution of Alternate Realities, which is an exploration of the deeply primordial and generative powers of the sign of Leo. And regardless of where you have Leo in your chart or any of that, how it is a, a universal energy um, of play, right, that we can tap into and be in relationship with in a really generative and creative way. So um, it's also, you know, several hours of content that's weaving together manifestation and astrology. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you next time.